Welcome to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, uh, and we're here. Alan's out in Dallas. We're going to preview yeah. a little bit of the women's uh, Final Four, but obviously there's a lot going on right now. We got spring football. We got some recruiting notes. Uh, we got basketball portal notes. Um, and baseball is off to the best start in SEC in their their best start uh, in the SEC in their history. Um, also, if you see my hand just flit into the screen <laughs> with a weird cast on it, which luckily the the background the green screen is kind of getting rid of it. Some um, I have to keep it elevated. It's been a weird week for me. Uh, if you feel like I've been typing a little bit less or a little bit shorter, that's why I only have one real functional finger over here on the left side so i'm <laughs> gonna have to start figuring out how to dictate uh stuff or something um anyway before we get into women's basketball which is obviously the the biggest uh national story at least right now for south carolina um we usually start off with a little bit of recruiting um for those of you that have been keeping up on the Insiders Forum or wherever, uh, Blake Franks, offensive lineman out of Greenville High School. He's a four-star uh, by rivals. Um, he's one of three four-star in-state O-linemen in this class. And um, we at Gamecock Scoop have projected all three to go to South Carolina. There's actually a, a story on our front page that I just posted like five minutes, five minutes ago where me and National... Uh, recruiting analyst Adam Friedman kind of discuss uh, how likely it is that South Carolina lands all three. And if you would have asked me that question, I don't know, six, seven months ago, I would have said they feel good about Josiah Thompson, but Cam Pringle, when I was talking to him last spring, around this time last year, um, he seemed pretty set on the idea of going to Ohio State or one of the Blue Bloods. Um, and then Blake Franks was a long time Clemson lean um, all the way up until just the last couple of months. And now I've started to feel a lot better about that. Um, you know, go read some stuff on the, that I've mentioned about Franks in the past. And then obviously we'll all know here at six 30 Eastern, what his decision is. We can kind of speculate on some of those things uh, after we get his official decision. I did want to kind of talk to you, Alan, for a minute though. It, it really feels like, especially if South Carolina lands, Blake Franks over Clemson and it would be a legitimate like landing him over Clemson. Clemson right. wanted him. It wasn't like they backed off or anything. Um, it really feels like the momentum and the rivalry between South Carolina and Clemson has <laughs> my, my dad always likes to say the worm has turned or whatever. Like it really does feel like that that's uh, that's flipped since November when South Carolina, of course, went in death Valley, one thirty-one to 30, in that upset, um, since then you've got a men's basketball win that was pretty improbable if you look at the way that both seasons went for the two teams. Uh, women's basketball, that's not that surprising. And then you get two out of three in baseball, um, and they've really struggled against Clemson uh, throughout the Kingston era. So kind of seems like it's flipped there. What what are, you, what are your thoughts on where the rivalry stands right now? Do you think South Carolina, like that this is just like a really good year, or does this seem like maybe like, things are actually shifting towards a, a different sort of future for the two programs. I don't know about like different long-term future. I think that's always a little bit much going off of any one year, one academic cycle, whatever you want to call it. I do think the more than what happened on the field last year, Clemson um, more than, you know, what happened on the court in the baseball field, the recruiting 
that might be where your worm actually turns to use your term. If you're actually talking about, and you, you know, you think they're going to, we got Franks today committing, expected to commit to South Carolina. If you're actually talking about landing all three of those guys in the state, those linemen, yeah, that's recruiting wins. That's that's a rivalry starting to shift. That's protecting your home territory and recruiting, which is something pretty much every coach to every program talks about. Um, yeah, I think there's something to that, at least in, in terms of football. And but you know that doesn't mean South Carolina is going to rattle off five straight wins against Clemson again, like they did with Spurrier. But you can see there's different energy, there's different momentum. Um, and right now they do have the, the one game until right now coming off of last year. It's kind of the, I'd say the ball's in Clemson's court now. It's been in South Carolina's for a really long time. Uh, but you win a game, you win some recruiting battles. Yeah, the ball's kind of back in Dabo's court now, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned those three O-linemen who I think they, I mean, Cam Pringle obviously is already a verbal commit. Uh, we'll find out about Franks later today. I think they have the inside track on Josiah Thompson, um, who they're having to compete against like Alabama and a lot of the major schools in the Southeast for. And then you also throw in Mazio Bennett. That's four out of uh, the top five in the state going to South Carolina, uh, as long as, you know, everything holds. Um, and yeah, when you look back at that five-year run that South Carolina had over Clemson in the past, that's how they did it. They won the in-state recruiting battles, um, found a couple diamonds in the rough that Clemson passed on in-state. So then you feel like those guys can have a chip on their shoulder uh, against Clemson in the rivalry. And um, then, you know, we've we've seen them start to reach out into different recruiting areas. Um, obviously, the DMV being the notable one, you get Nicholas Harbor out of there, you get Tosin Babalade out of there, Zavari Sandy out of there. You lead for a couple of uh, 2024 guys, including Dylan Stewart, who's a five-star out of there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think if that, that combination of keeping the best in-state guys with you, um, being willing to take a couple chances on some in-state guys. I know they probably lead for Kelvin Hunter right now, three-star safety, but someone the staff really likes and believes in. Um, and keep that pipeline to the DMV or wherever. I know that they're starting to try to branch out into Texas, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas sort of area too, uh, because they have a lot of people on the staff now that are uh, familiar with those Howell areas. Logan's being the newest one. He's from Texas and he coached at Arkansas, obviously. Right. So um, I'm really liking what they're doing in the recruiting strategy and we're seeing it start to pay off in a big way in 2024. Um, right now, I believe South Carolina is ranked like 10th in the rivals rankings um all four stars right now um and then yeah you if you land franks later today you land josiah thompson here in a couple weeks i believe he's set to announce on april 14th um you're probably sitting in the top 10 and that's not not a bad place to be uh mid-april or so so um speaking of mid-april uh there's a spring game coming up uh the first scrimmage of spring practice is tomorrow i believe um, obviously, you didn't get to uh, hang out at the practices this week because you're out in Dallas. Um, but looking back at some of the press conferences and stuff, what stood out to you from the second week of spring practice? Yeah, I wrote a little bit about offensive line flexibility. Uh, I guess that would have run this morning on GameCockScoop.com if you're subscribed. And that's kind of what they're looking at now. Uh, Teasley was at the podium yesterday talking about that, about how they got guys that could play three positions, four positions. They feel like Nick or Julio can play all five um that's kind of been interesting to me that just there are 
they want to get the best five out there, but they feel good about having the best five out there pretty much no matter who has to play where, just because so many guys can do so many different things. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's kind of what I took from it. I still, my other Beamer note, I guess, he was asked Tuesday, which I was there for, he was asked what his magic number is for scholarship running backs. Like, how many scholarship running backs does he want on the roster when they go play week one? He said five. Well, okay, right now you're at two and a half. Yeah. If you count Joiner, it'll be three and right. a half when uh, DJ Braswell gets to campus. But either way, even if you are counting Joiner, that's still four. And I don't think you are counting Joiner. And Braswell's not going to play that much as a freshman, I wouldn't think, in the SEC. So you're – Beamer kind of right. said without saying that they're going to portal running backs in May when that window opens again on May 1st. Yeah, and that's something that we've speculated on for a while. I think that's pretty much inevitable. Don't discount Braswell yet, though. Uh, he might he might get some run here and as a freshman, especially depending on how what they get out of the portal or whatever. Um, he's a speedy guy. He's would be a good proven running back who's run between the tackles at the FBS and, if you can, Power 5 level. That might be asking a little bit too much, but – you just need bodies who have done it before. Yeah. And uh, even though Mario Anderson definitely looks the part, I think, if you've mm -hmm. if anyone's seen some pictures of him in winter workouts and stuff, he's a he's a beast. Um, he, he's not proven uh, at the very least, even if he comes out and exceeds all expectations. You know, it's uh, a big step up from Newberry to the SEC. Um that kind of leads into my next point. So yesterday I wrote about Spencer Rattler. Uh, he had his first media availability since deciding to come back uh, for his, what is this, his redshirt juniors? Or he didn't redshirt. Is this his junior season technically with COVID and everything? I think it's um, senior, uh, 19, 20, 20. It'd be his red senior. This is, this is the, he would right, still have but, a sixth year if he wanted it because he has a COVID year and a redshirt yeah. year. This right. is year five in college for him. He was on that 2019 Oklahoma team that made the playoff. Right. That's it. Okay. Um, and I wrote about, you know, him coming back because definitely through most of last season, we thought he was a one and done here at South Carolina. Um, now coming into his second season, he spoke a little bit about uh, being a little bit more of a vocal leader um, coming into the second year. Uh, he spoke about Dowell Loggins offense and how he um, really likes uh, the space and pace sort of philosophy that Loggins is trying to uh, integrate um, and that he and the other quarterbacks obviously were able to dive into that playbook first. And now that part of their job this spring is kind of making sure that the rest of the offense catch up, catches up on that. One thing I wanted to ask though, is like, what are our expectations for Spencer Rattler this coming year? I mean, obviously as an, for his individual expectations, he's trying to get, into a position where he's draft worthy. So what does that look like? Like what does South Carolina season, maybe his personal stat line have to look like in order to put himself in that conversation where he's, you know, drafted in the first couple of rounds of the NFL draft. Can I answer the question without really, and I don't have a, a target number in mind for yards or touchdowns or anything like that. Um, you need a consistent Spencer Rattler. That's kind of what I would say, A, what NFL teams are going to be looking for, but also what, if you're a South Carolina fan, you should be looking for. It can't be the up and down, the I played well against AM and and then I completed, I think it was like 10, 12 passes against Missouri. And then, you know, you played great against Tennessee and Clemson at the end of the year, but by then it was obviously off the back of a couple pretty bad performances. Or like, you need a week-to-week -week consistent starter you trust to go into big SEC games and at least give you a chance. 
is kind of what I would say. More so than cutting down the turnovers and throwing a specific number of touchdowns, you need a consistent Spencer Rattler. And yeah, is there a, a scenario where I guess things clicked for him here in Columbia over those last couple of games, those last three games? He didn't play bad in the bowl game. He was a little hamstrung on his weapons and stuff uh, in that one, but I still thought he played pretty well, made some of those jaw-dropping catches. The one to Xavier Legat obviously stands out in my mind in the back of the end zone, but um, it, is it possible that things just clicked at the end of the last season and he just keeps that going into this season? If that Spencer Rattler shows up for a whole season... I mean, if that Spencer Rattler showed up, you're talking about a Heisman Trophy. I don't think you're going to get that version of him the whole year, but... Yeah, I think it is possible. I don't know if that's a comfort thing. I don't know if that's – I do know Satterfield opened some things up those last two games that he wasn't doing for most of the year before that. Um, I think it's possible. I would lean towards that being more likely likely than not just because there is no transition to Columbia. There is, there is a new offense. There's no actual football transition, program transitions, philosophy, whatever. I would lean toward that being more likely than not, Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you pick up where you left off, you're looking at a, I mean, obviously the defense is going to have a big <laughs> role to play here, but I think you're looking at a very explosive offense over the course of the 2023 season, um, which is going to keep you in a lot of ball games. So I'm, I know personally, I'm excited to check it out and <laughs> uh, see how things go. Um, there's, the expectations are higher going into this year, and you wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um you know, you finished eight and five last year on a year that you were picked to win six, maybe seven games. Um, not by me, though. I picked him to win eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. It'll it'll be really interesting to see. But I agree with you. I think that there is a scenario where he just kind of whatever clicked for him and more games than not this coming season look a lot like the end of last year. And if that's the case, I think South Carolina as a team is going to be happy. And I think Rattler has a good opportunity to play his way into an NFL contract. Does that mean he's going to be like a top five, you know, pick or whatever? No, but I mean, we've seen he can make all the throws uh, that an NFL team might want. And uh, I could certainly see him, you know, someone taking a chance on him if he has a season like that. Yeah, like I said, you just need the week-to-week stuff. You mean the Tennessee game, that's fun. The set, uh, what, six, seven touchdowns, that's fun. That's electric, but it stood out because we hadn't seen that all year. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you need a, I would say, a higher floor for Spencer Rattler. That's, yeah, that's a good way to put it, just that consistency. Um, And then get a couple big games against big opponents like you saw against Tennessee, and I think – you're right there in it, and you'll be in the national conversation because of the spotlight of those games. Um, we got a lot more football on GameCocksGroup.com. You can go check that out. Um, obviously, there's more spring practice next week, which uh, Alan will be back for after his trip to Dallas. Hopefully not back too soon, though, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but yeah, uh, spring football and then spring game here in a couple weeks. The only men's basketball notes I have really quick uh, is that we were trying to just decide how to say it before uh, the podcast began. Talon or Talon Cooper uh, landed at South Carolina out of the portal. He averaged like 9.5 or so. I can't remember the exact, it's 9 point something points per game this past season at Minnesota. 
but on a Minnesota team that went like two and 13 in conference. Um, so, you know, that's kind of tough, but yeah, he played 36 minutes a game, um, is originally from South Carolina. He went to Dorman high school in South Carolina. Um, and I think it's a good piece. I, I don't, I don't know that it's a piece that you like can build a team around or anything like that, but I think it's a, it's a good piece to have in the arsenal. Um, you tried a similar thing with like a Benjamin Bozeman's Verdock last year, which we were talking about before, which didn't work out as much. Um, uh, but yeah, Cooper plays more of a guard role. Um, and I think he immediately steps into some pretty heavy rotation, pretty heavy minutes, uh, at least with the way that the roster is constituted right now. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing though. You say roster is constituted right now. Oh, well, we know it's going to look different here in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months. They're going to keep adding a piece at a time here until they can fill out the roster after, especially how much they lost, which we've talked about before. I mean, obviously, Trayvon Minot's gone. Javon Benson's gone. Jiki Jackson. Chico Carter went in the portal. Hayden Brown's graduated. You're This is going to look different next year, especially with only two players in this recruiting class right now. There's Lamont's got a lot of options. Yeah, um, and we've been reposting a lot of different uh, names that have been reached out to you by South Carolina in the portal. Um, and Perry McCarty on GameCocksGroup.com has done a really good job of kind of staying in the loop on potential names and what their upsides and downsides for South Carolina would be. Um, I guess if I'm giving you one more name right now, uh, it would be the Clark kid. Uh, what's his first name? Um, Clark kid out of, out of the Citadel. Um, that one seems like a pretty easy fit. He kind of plays that positionless basketball uh, sort of style, especially on offense that uh, Paris seems to like. Uh, he's a lengthy guy, but also can shoot. Um, but there's a tons of tons of names on GameClassGroup.com for you to check out. And the other uh, only other men's basketball recruiting news. Uh, there's two 2024 names for you to kind of keep your eyes on. That's um, more, I, I'm probably going to butcher their names because they are finish um but uh morris ugasuk and oku federico uh that's two uh that's a point guard and a and a forward out of finland um and they kind of play together on a travel team or whatever uh in finland and they both took a visit to south carolina this past weekend um so those names are two to kind of keep in mind they don't have rankings on rivals and stuff which a lot of times international players don't. Um, but Perry McCarty, who's focused pretty good on, on the basketball recruiting side of stuff on GameCocksGroup.com, seems to think that those two would be a good fit and, and have a lot of upside for South Carolina. Um, but again, 2024 guys, so they wouldn't be able to contribute this coming year. Uh, of course, the 2023 guys, you got Arden Conyers and Colin Murray Boyles coming in. Um, I think Murray Boyles probably the slightly more uh, college ready of the two, but both have a good bit of upside. So add that, add in all these transfer names, and we'll know in the next month or two what the men's basketball roster is actually going to look like and can start to kind of speculate from there. All right, let's do baseball real quick, and then we'll end it up with um, women's basketball. So Baseball uh, last night got a win at Mississippi State, opening game win. Uh, Eli Jones started yep. that one. Um, and it was kind of up and down. There were 17 strikeouts for South Carolina, but they pieced together off enough. 
to get the win like they have through most of the season. And now they're off to a 7-0 and start in the SEC, and that's the best start in SEC play. Uh, Ever. In, yeah. In South They've won national play. titles and not won seven straight SEC games to open this season. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and if you just look at the record at this point, I mean, you obviously are very pleased, um, but there's a gauntlet coming. I, I mean, think we need to have one other conversation, too. Um, I don't know what to do with it. Maybe it's a better one to save before that gauntlet starts next week with LSU. Will Sanders, it was kind of teetering a little bit. It wasn't awful. And then last week it was awful for the first time. He had his career high in runs allowed and walks, and he's not in the weekend rotation at all this weekend. Do we think that's Mark Kingston giving him a one-week breather? Is he trying to reset the rotation with the weird Thursday-Saturday series going this week and then again next week because of Easter they don't play Sunday? What do we think of the Will Sanders deal right now? I think maybe a little bit of all of the above. Um, I don't think it's an injury issue. I don't think he's necessarily sitting Sanders for the season or anything and saying no, you've lost no. your job. Um, but I do think he wants to put some of the more inexperienced midweek uh, sort of guys in that position in a fairly low stakes scenario, which Mississippi State's kind of, you know, not off to the best start that they've ever had or anything. One could say <laughs> they're 0 um, 7. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was part of it because you do, you don't want to get into that gauntlet and not have options. I think yes. uh, if Will Sanders doesn't bounce back and start playing like the Will Sanders that we expect him to at some point, then you want to have someone else to turn to. And I think he's kind of searching for that right now. Um, we saw the same thing in the midweek on Tuesday. They filtered through a bunch of guys like uh, Sam I, I Simpson pitched. Um, Try to think. I think Jackson Phipps had an inning on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, uh, there's at least yeah. one other name that I hadn't seen yet this season or um, and then saw some other veterans that he just wanted to get their arms live on Will Proctor sighting and all of that. So, um, yeah, I think he's trying to make sure that he knows who he can turn to in what scenarios before things get tough. The, because the gauntlet we're discussing, for those who don't know, is the next three weekends is going to be LSU, Vanderbilt, and Florida. That's three of the top four teams in the country in the poll right now. Two of them are in Columbia. You get two out of those three series at home. But, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's opportunity, right? You're you're a top sure. ten team yourself. Uh, if you want to prove that you belong in the upper echelon of this very tough league, uh, if you want to prove that you could potentially be a hosting site um, or even a national seed, uh, then you got to win some of these games. You got to string. I'd say you need to win at least one of the series and steal at least one from the other two or something like that. You go four and five in those nine. Right. I mean, no one's raising a banner over that, but four and five out of nine games against three of the top four teams in the country, I think you're feeling pretty good. But you got to handle this weekend first. You got two more in Starkville tonight and tomorrow. You're back to your regular weekend starters. You got Noah Hall tonight and Jack Mahoney tomorrow. Um, and then a power five midweek, I think, next week against North Carolina. Yeah. So this this stretch is gonna start getting really interesting. Um, and yeah, you can't count your chickens before you before they hatch. Maybe they lose the next two to Mississippi State. Um, with how deep the pitching is compared to Mississippi State's pitching, you you have to think you get that Friday win that they got last night. You're you're looking pretty good uh, over the next two games, but baseball's weird, so we'll, we'll yep. have to see. Um, we'll have coverage. I, there's a lot going on today. <laughs> um, so the women's basketball game, obviously, later this afternoon or evening. Um, baseball game also at 7 p.m. today, uh, and then Blake's 
Blake Frank's announcement at 6.30. And we will be covering all three on GameCocksGroup.com. So make sure you check out all that and bounce around. And should be a fun night uh, in Gamecock land. All yeah, right, and then getting to that, yeah, that's where you're going next. That's the South Carolina versus Iowa tonight. It, it's going to be after 9 Eastern because that first game has to end. You're probably looking at 9.15, 9.30 Eastern. Uh, this is it, national semifinal, South Carolina, Iowa. You got the AP and the USWBA basketball player of the year, Caitlin Clark, for the Hawkeyes. Obviously, South Carolina is undefeated. This is the game. This is, I mean, I think a lot of people think, no disrespect to LSU or Virginia Tech, that I think a lot of people think tonight is kind of the national title game. Yeah. So I, I haven't kept up with all of the teams involved. Um, obviously, I know Caitlin Clark's name because everyone knows Caitlin Clark's name. Um, she dropped 40 last week, um, or 41. 40. Something. It was a 40 point triple yeah. double in the Elite Eight. Which right. has never happened before. Which has never happened in men's or women's yeah. uh, NCAA tournament. Um, and so my question to you, as someone who's a lot more plugged in on all this stuff, what does Caitlin Clark need to score for Iowa to win this game? If if she scores 40, does that automatically mean that they're even in it? <laughs> or like, what's, what's your threshold there? Um, not to take away from the other players on Iowa or whatever, obviously. Um, they're very, very talented, but it seems like to me she's going to have to have a dominant game in order for them to have a shot. Yeah, I definitely I think that's that's true for sure. Iowa has some size. They have, they'll have more size than a lot of teams Carolina's faced this year, but definitely not the type of size needed to handle a six foot five Aaliyah Boston, a six foot four Victoria Saxon, a six seven Camilla Cardoso. I think you're going to see a lot of what you saw against Maryland with maybe a shaky first quarter, recalibrate, get the opponent's bigs in foul trouble and kind of take over that way. Uh, to answer your original question, I think that number starts with a four if Iowa wins. It's kind of what I would say. I think my Caitlin Clark belief on this game tonight is she is going to score in the 30s. I think she's going to volume shoot a lot. She's going to hit a few of them because that's just kind of what happens even when you're playing good defense. I'm expecting a Caitlin Clark gets 32 points on 22 shots kind of game where – that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, to me, this is this is a lot about managing emotions and managing the mental aspect of it. Because I think where South Carolina could get in trouble, because they, they're not the most efficient shooting team. Um, I, now, granted, Iowa does not have a very good defense either, so they may look a lot more efficient tonight. But if Caitlin Clark can get off to a hot start, Iowa can get a lead early, then... Um, I think there's some of that like pressure that starts to creep in on South Carolina and it'd be interesting to see how they handle it. Granted, they're the only team that has multiple players that have already been in this That's situation. What I was say. Yeah. They were talking about that in the locker room yesterday. If you're subscribed, I've got uh, quotes behind the paywall from the open locker room yesterday. They were talking about that, about experience, about how they've been here before. Um, they feel like going to these last two final fours has helped them a lot. And Iowa's never been here. Caleb Clark's never been here. I mean, and the one thing I will say for Iowa is I don't think they can afford to get behind. I don't know if they're going to be able to come back. But the way they play defense, which is not well, I don't think they're equipped to come from behind or shut South Carolina out for four minutes to pull back into a game. Uh, so they're going to need a quick start. And if they come out tight, there's a scenario where this goes haywire for Iowa pretty quick. Definitely. No, I, I think pretty much the only path is for Iowa to get off to a hot start. Yeah. South Carolina to get off to a shaky start. Um 
And then, yeah, South Carolina hasn't had to play from from behind all that often this year, especially not much of a like a double digit deficit or anything like that. Um, from what I've watched throughout the tournament thus far, South Carolina's been South Carolina. You know, like I still don't think that they've played a complete A plus game or anything. Um, but it for the most part, it's felt like anytime they've gotten a double digit lead on a team, it's over because there's no way that a team's going to be able to string together enough possessions That's to score thing. consistently uh, to get back in a game against South Carolina. Now, Caitlin Clark's a little bit of an X factor, right? Like she can make some some of those tough shots that other teams cannot make um, when South Carolina is playing good defense. Who do you think is going to match up, or do you think someone's going to match up one-on-one with Caitlin Clark? I don't think it's going to be someone one-on-one the whole game. I think they're going to try to throw some different looks at her. I think if you're asking who's going to have it the majority, I think it's going to be Bree Beal. Um, it's, you know, one of the national defensive players of the year. She's taken the other team's best score pretty much the whole season, but especially the tournament. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Zaya Cook on her. She's played really good defense this tournament. She's a physical guard. She'll, um, have you ever seen the clip from, I can't remember the name of the documentary now. I feel bad that, but it's the Netflix doc about the 08 Olympic, the men's Olympic team. When the U.S. played Spain in the tie, the gold medal game, Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol, obviously teammates in the NBA, but going against each other. Kobe Bryant tells the whole team, first screen of the game, I'm running through Pau Gasol's chest to set the tone. And he did. Zaya Cook wants a piece of Caitlin Clark tonight. I'll put it that way. Just from the vibes, from the open locker room, like I think they all want a piece of Caitlin. Uh, Aliyah Boston would never admit this. She's just not that type of person. I do think there is a little bit of why did she win both Player of the Year awards? I'm Aaliyah Boston. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. even if she doesn't think that, even if she's too calm, even keeled, team first mentality, I think that as a team, I think there's a point to prove tonight against this particular opponent. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, which you brought up awards a little bit. Um, earlier this week, we did get word on the Naismith Awards. Do you remember the specific details? It was, I mean, Caitlin won Player of the Year. Aaliyah Boston did win Defensive Player of the Year. And Don Staley won Coach of the Year for the Naismith. The AP shut South Carolina out, which I think a lot of people were also up in arms about. Caitlin Clark wins Player of the Year. And I think they just do player and coach. Coach of the year is Terry Morin from Indiana. And then the USBW, the US Basketball Writers Association, I believe also gave Caitlin Clark player of the year. And I am blanking. I think Dawn was coach of the year for them. Do you think so, that that's somewhat becoming like what the UConn fatigue was, uh, you know, say five, six years ago or whatever, um, where they just want to see someone new? I mean, to me, Caitlin Clark, 100%, like, deserve there there it's it's really hard to compare caitlin clark and Olivia boston because there's such different they play players. different positions yeah, and that, yeah. this is the whole thing i will say people are talking about this matchup tonight how excited they are to see caitlin and Olivia on the same court and i get it that's literally your last two national title winners i mean i compare that to like if you're at two Heisman winning quarterbacks face each other in a college bowl game well i don't know if that's ever happened but they don't play the same position they're not going to be guarding each other caitlin clark and Olivia boston will be standing 20 feet apart for most of this game the only face time they're going to get is if Caitlin tries to drive the lane, right? I mean, you're not going to have a situation where Aaliyah is guarding her 30 feet from the basket. Right. So that's kind of what I would say about that. And to go to your original point about fatigue, yeah, maybe. Um, I do think there might be some people who just wouldn't vote for the same player two years in a row on those awards. Um, but also they did give it to Dawn. And again, 
So for coach of the year, so clearly there's not so much fatigue that a coach of the year would go. And I think there's, I think it's some of both. I think it's some of that. And also Caitlin Clark had an amazing season. Right. No, I mean, she, she definitely did. And then punctuated it in her last game right before all this was announced. So um, you, I, I don't have any problem with uh, Clark winning that award. I do, I do think it's really difficult to even uh, compare the two, but which Boston still won the de- defensive player of the year, right? Yes. Right. So, um, and well-deserved, I think so. Um, all right. Well, what time are you getting to the stadium today? I haven't decided yet. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I mean, the first game's at six. It's noon here now. Go around, check out Dallas a little bit more. Saw a little bit of it yesterday, and it's after the press conferences. But yeah, all right. Well, about an hour or so before uh, tip off, you can check out GameCocksCube.com. Mm-hmm. Alan will be giving the live, live thread going. You want to come hang out with me? Come talk. Maybe I'll start that thread before the first game. If you want to talk a little LSU Virginia Tech, I'll be there. I'll be hanging around. Um, anybody's got Dallas recommendations? I found some pretty good brisket last night, but I'm always looking for more. Um, Daily Plaza is about half a mile from here. Going to go see the JFK stuff. Yeah, Stand that's uh, that's one city I haven't been to yet. So yes, yeah, yeah so me let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back to the next podcast with eight hours of conspiracy theories. Don't worry. Great. Yeah, tell us <laughs> about the the man on the knoll and all that. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, until then, we'll be back here next week to hopefully be talking about another South Carolina Women's National Championship um, or analyzing what went wrong or whatever. Um, We'll be back with some more spring football stuff. Uh, Probably going to have a commitment to talk about. And Uh, the the number one baseball baseball. team in the country is coming to Columbia next weekend, or assuming they're still ranked number one by then. Yeah, this is a super exciting time of year. Um, as someone who used to be primarily just a football fan and would check out this time of the year, uh, I didn't know what I was missing. So, <laughs> um, until next time, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe and all those things that people say to do, and we'll see you next time.